This week on the Cattleman You Podcast, we're talking with Jolene Brown about the realities of running a family business, common business mistakes made on the farm, and how to keep a positive attitude and celebrate your wins. This is such a great conversation, and I think it brings up things that we don't like to talk about in agriculture. So I encourage you to listen to it and then sit down with your parents, your grandparents, anyone who's involved in the operation with you and listen to it again. Are you interested in joining a community of progressive cattlemen? Cattlemen U doors are opening this May from the 2nd to 31st. We're excited to welcome people like you into our community, dedicated to learning and reaching our goals. Cattlemen U is for any producer, whether you're just starting out or want to refresh your skills. You can join the waitlist today at cattlemenulive.com backslash join. We are excited to have Jolene with us today on the podcast. Thanks for joining. Thank you. I'm tickled to be here. Why don't we start by you just telling us a little bit about your background and how you got started consulting? Well, I am a professional speaker, a family business consultant, but what's more important, I'm also a real farmer brown. And what I learned short in my career 35 years ago is that those of us in agriculture have all kinds of resources for weeds and seeds and breeds and feeds and money, machinery, marketing, but we're not so good with the people. (laughs) Yet it's the people that do all of that production. So as I was speaking on topics and things, I would get questions like from a young daughter-in-law, how long do you have to be married before you get to be family? Or I would get the question, you know, I've been the only one working on the ranch for 20 years, but my parents are dividing it equally amongst all of their kids. Why should I bust my butt just to make them rich? So those are the kinds of questions that I kept getting. And what I learned is that to be a resource for them that will help them increase their productivity, their profitability, I want to give them some peace of mind so they can sit together happily at a holiday table. So I chose to specialize in the human side of agriculture. I don't think there's enough people specializing in the human side of agriculture. And so we really applaud the work you're doing. And I think that managing and working with humans is the hardest part of the industry. And we don't talk about it enough. What are some of the realities of family business, especially in agriculture that you're seeing? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I've been at over 400 kitchen tables in their meeting rooms, and they've kind of taught me what works and what doesn't. So here's what does not work. I've learned that silence is the greatest destroyer of both family and business. And and I got to tell you, cattlemen, that the more I have to work with people, the more I like cows. (laughs) So if I don't like that old bitty, I can send it to market. But I can't do that with moms or dads or cousins or sisters or brothers. Yet we have to understand that communication truly is the bloodstream of what we do. And here's a quick example of silence being the destroyer. I had a call from a family, had worked with them, and they said, would you please talk to grandma? Grandma is in assisted living. She's in her late 80s, and she still owns all of the land. We have no idea what she has planned. Would you talk to grandma? Well, of course, I said, does grandma want to talk to me? (laughs) And the answer was yes. So I went to visit her and we had a great conversation. And she finally said to me, you know, Jolene, I'm not going to tell my kids what's in my will, because right now they all come to see me. (laughs) Your first reaction might be laughter, but let me tell you something. She told me what she has planned in her will. And not only will it break up the family, they're going to lose the ranch. So the first reality is silence is the greatest destroyer of family and business. The second thing, and we'll focus more on this a little bit later, but that is a conversation is not a contract. Now, I've learned that if things are not in writing, things do not exist. And with family, more, not less must be in writing. So that's the second thing. Here's the third thing. We must make an intentional decision. 
And as I do my workshops, I let them know before they walk out the door, they have to tell me their decision. Do they want to be a family first business or a business first family? And 95% or more of every conversation or contact or email or call I get comes from people operating as a family first. Don't rock the boat. We don't want to get dead mad. Oh, I think there's a will. We'll just all get along. We love each other. And they're operating their future on a habit, assumption, a hope, and tradition. When that works out, I call that lucky. And it's very rarely that it truly works out. So what I teach and what I'd like your participants to understand from this podcast is they get to make a choice because the other choice is to operate as a business first family. Now, that does not demean the family. It does not say the business is more important than the family. But what it says is we love and honor you, this family, so much. We better get the business right. So they have to make an intentional choice. And the last thing is, I think you'll find out through this podcast that I am not your traditional consultant. I don't mediate, I dictate. <laughs> I've, been, I've been around long enough. I don't put up with much crap. Let me put it that way. So when I consult, I bring four tools that I think we need in our family business. And that is I bring a mirror. That's because most everybody invites me. So I'll fix somebody else, but I've got to have the mirror to start with who's there. And also to make sure we start with where we are at today. Not that things weren't fair in the past and what happened in grandma's will. We've got to start where we're at today with the mirror. My second tool is I bring a box of tissues because there is always emotion. There's worry and fear. There's anger. There's resentment. There's tears. And they have taught me that when emotion and logic collide, emotion's going to win. So we have to deal with the emotion. Then I bring a roll of duct tape, <laughs> not just so that they're listening, but sometimes I got to tape them to their chair because I will have somebody who wants to say his or her piece, by golly, this is how it's going to be. And they want to walk out the door and I'll have somebody else at the table goes, oh boy, this is getting really hard here. I think I'll go make some coffee and cookies. I'll come back in a little bit. Nope. I got to tape you to your chair. You got to stay present. And the last tool that I bring is a two by four because sometimes you just got to let them have it and wake them up. So these are the four realities of a foundation of a family business, what we need to do and what are some of the roadblocks. When you're having these conversations and sitting down with families, in my experience, the conversation is happening too late. Would you agree with that? And if so, if you could have a magic wand, when should this conversation be started? Well, communication is an everyday thing. And we'll talk about that more in a point coming up. Yes, it is much better to do these things when the times are good before we're fighting on the way to the funeral home. And, and I had a call two weeks ago from a, an attorney who says, you know, you've worked with this family. They want you to be at the reading of dad's will. And I said, I'm not coming. And he said, why? And I said, because every single one of them is bringing their own personal attorney with them. So if I were in your shoes, I'd have a copies of the will for everybody. I have a copies of the buy sell for everybody. I would go through it. And then I want you to take out anything that's breakable in the room and leave. Because, <laughs> you know, we're waiting till the times are tough. I, I will let them know this is not a dreaded process. It does not have to be something that oh, costs a lot of money. We don't know where to start. How do you begin? Nobody wants to talk about it. The bottom line is, since silence is going to destroy us, we need to know the rules of the game. And certainly the earlier, the better. What kind of questions do you think need to be asked when assessing family relationships and the internal relationships in a family business? Well, one of the mistakes that we make is that we assume just because we were raised together or we're living together, we can all be working well together because being a, far, a part of a family business is not a birthright. There is no entitlement. When we operate as a business, first family, I do not want moms and dads bringing in the kids. 
I want leaders and managers hiring worthy employees who will earn the right for management, leadership, and ownership down the road. So you can't assume just because you're raised together that you can and work, should be working together. And some of the questions are, I always have to start with the senior generation or whoever holds the assets. And I have to ask them three questions. The first is, do you really want this business to continue? And all I want is a yes or a no. Not, well, we don't know how to do this or where do we begin? And gosh, this is so hard. I just want to know, is there a fire in your belly that you want the integrity of what you have worked so hard to build over the years? Do you want it to continue a yes or a no? Second question is, if you said yes, then I want to know, so when are you going to transition it? Not just the labor or the management, but when will you transition the leadership and the ownership? And what I know is everybody out there of that senior generation will immediately transition anything with technology. <laughs> You're in charge of that. You take care of that. And, and all the reporting you got to do and compliance and, and advocating in agriculture, keeping up with the neighbors. We'll transition that. But when are you going to transition the leadership of the business and the ownership? Is it going to be during your lifetime while somebody is walking alongside you and you have been vetting them? that they're kind and courteous and respectful. They don't just meet the expectations, they exceed them. And not only that, they bring value beyond anything you had even anticipated. We've got to make sure that you transition while you are betting. You know, I had an 80-year-old man say to me, he said, you know, Jolene, maybe I ought to be turning something over to my boy. But his boy was 60. I said, yes, screwed your son. Can you imagine being 60 and never having an opportunity for ownership of equity? or collateral. So so we've got to make sure that we get, understand when we're going to transition, because that brings us to the third question, and that is, to whom will you transition? Is it going to be those who truly know how to operate the business, and you've kept operations separate from land? We tie them together legally so that we honor each of the roles and we understand what the governances are. Are, are you going to uh, transition it at the reading of the will? Surprise! And then it's going to go to whomever we want to, maybe all family members, even those who not, do not participate in operations of a business. Are we going to transition it at an auction? When I die, it's up for auction. If you want this, you bid on it yourself. You just got to answer those three questions. And once I have the answer to those questions, I always let you know how you do it is not all that hard because there are really good advisors. There's really good attorneys and accountants and financial planners who will help you with the process. But we have to make sure that we understand that when you transition, you have chosen to transition it and what you're transitioning and to whom. And that means there is a triangle involved here. So picture a triangle because at the bottom is going to be labor. I hope everybody starts as labor. I hope you got a scoop poop. You got the midnight calving runs. I hope everybody's working hard. And when you labor well, then you get to manage. Maybe you're really good at animal nutrition or herdsmanship or animal health. Maybe you're really good at uh, the at agronomy or marketing or machinery, but you're going to be good at something. So you manage that. And when you manage that well, then you manage the next thing. And pretty soon you get to lead. But I always have to remind the senior generation that at the pinnacle of the career, you get to become labor again. <laughs> we forget that one, don't we? But we've worked so hard. We've said to somebody, follow me, labor, labor, labor. Oh man, that's really good. Management, management. Whoa, you put it all together, leadership. And now I get to follow you. So being a part of a business is not a birthright. There is no entitlement. And it's also not a place to rehabilitate a family member. If there's somebody in your operation who's a family member and they are angry or addicted or arrogant or lazy, don't hire them. Nobody else would. Why do you give them a paycheck so they can keep acting that way? What I find is people in family business tolerate 
behaviors from the, a family member that they would never tolerate from another employee. We've got to make sure that you do this right. It is not a birthright. Yeah, I think that that is so important to remember that we have an option um, as, you know, as the generation passing on the business, that there is options and also equal is not fair and fair is not equal. And I think that that is a conversation that we hear a lot. It does not have to be split equally between the family member. You're passing on a business, just like you'd sell a car wash or anything like that. I mean, it's a a business process, not just the family member. You're so right. And by passing it on, it doesn't always mean gifting or waiting until a dead somebody inherits it. And then the other people get to have explanations of why. This means why during your lifetime you are doing this. And we'll get into that more in another point. But what I know is that this transition is extremely important and it's going to take a series of years because you're not sure whether there's somebody worthy and then they have to prove they're right and you have to be willing to transition control and ownership along the way. And you're correct. Fair is not always equal. What I have found, I often compare that number one roadblock, which is fair and equal to an apple pie. And here's what I mean. I have a beautiful apple pie. It's going to smell so good. It's going to taste so good. And I can hardly wait to share it. So I bring one, two, three, four of you to the table. I make sure I have 90 degrees and I get out four dessert plates. I put out four pieces of equal pie and that is equal. Now here is fair. I have a beautiful apple pie. It smells so good. It's going to taste so good. And I can hardly wait to share it. And then I step back and I think about who planted that tree. Who kept it watered? Who kept it nourished? Who kept the fungus away? Who kept the disease away? So that years down the road, it could finally bloom. And then when the blooms were hit with mother nature and fell off, then you waited another year, hoping that you can then produce some beautiful apples. And then I'm wondering who picked the apples, who stored the apples, who marketed the apples so that you could go to the store, buy the apples and make the pie. And now I bring one, two, three, four of you to the table. And I say, if you notice that the pieces of the pie are not the same shape, but neither has been the investment into the making of the pie. Then we talk about still being active in operations or not being active, how we transition the operations. And then we can talk about land and different transitions of that. But maybe there's also, also life insurance or other options along the way that are not as risky as somebody who's going to continue your livelihood. And not only that, while they're continuing the business, they're usually providing the retirement income for the transition that is moving on to become a mentor along the way. So you're very right. That's an important roadblock that needs to be addressed. Do you think there should be any kind of prerequisite when we're considering the next generation for them to be invited into the family business? Holy smokes, the answer to that is yes. And because I have worked with so many, here are my prerequisites before you even invite a family member into the business. There's six of them. The first one is I always have to ask the rising generation, what do you bring? I mean, is it mechanical skills? Is it energy or capital or labor? Is it herdsmanship? What, what do you bring? You've got to be bringing something to the business. And by the way, I want this in writing because you're applying for a job. Second is, does the business even need you? Now, that doesn't mean you're not a worthy person, but we've got to have a worthy job. Or are you coming with a new business plan where you can say, I'm just so delighted and so lucky and so blessed to have an opportunity to work here. And if that's true, here's what I understand the current business to be. But if I come on board, here's where I might fit in. Here's the value I could bring and how I could honor what you worked so hard to build up. So the second is what you bring. The third question is I always got to figure out is, well, what do you cost? Everybody comes with their handout. 
you know, they, they would like a paycheck. <laughs> they, they would like health insurance and maybe dental and, and optical, maybe a retirement plan. And you know what? They want a pickup to drive that the ranch or the farm owns. And then please pay, pay for all the fuel, but I'm going to use it for other stuff. Oh, and, and business, please provide me a smartphone and an iPad and a computer system. And, and Ranch, would you please provide me a house in which to live and all the utilities paid for? Well, ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. What do you cost the business? And the real question you've got to figure out, does the cost they bring equal the value they bring the business? So that's the third question. What does it cost? Here's the fourth prerequisite. I want you to have worked for a non-family boss for at least two to three consecutive years. This is not your summer internships. This is not, well, I've been working on the ranch since I was four. I followed mommy and daddy. No, no, no. This is once you're done, I want you to work for a non-family boss. And I know we don't have time in this podcast, but there's about 30 lessons you learn when you work for somebody else. And you get to bring that good stuff back to the family business. But you know, Caroline, I've also learned that parents aren't the best teachers of these lessons. While they are working for somebody else, I want to make sure they have good evaluations, good performance reviews, or maybe a promotion in their job. So here's the fifth prerequisite I always ask the rising generation, and that is, are you still living at home? And the last question is, is your mother still doing your laundry? <laughs> because if you're still living at home and mama's doing your laundry, you're still mommy and daddy's little girl and boy, and they're still your mommy and daddy. I said it before, I want good leaders and managers, bringing in really worthy employees. And for me, this includes these six prerequisites must be met before an invitation is even issued. I'm not sure my dad ever verbalized it, <laughs> but we had to have a college degree to come back to the operation or even to consider coming back to the operation. And I'm not sure it's something that he said in those exact words, but all of my siblings and I knew that if we were interested in working on the family operation, we had to have a degree. And that has been so beneficial for our family and just the culture of knowing that we needed to go learn from someone else. We needed to stick through school and come home with a degree. And I think it's really improved what we can offer. But that was something that was really taught to us as kids is you got to have education. And that's not in common. It's, it's a good prerequisite. It's also part of my prerequisites before you ever transition an asset. And I would like to add one more thing. When you get your advanced degree past high school, please make it be in something that is beneficial to the business. <laughs> I, I worked with a, a fishing family out in Massachusetts, and he's so excited to bring his next generation in. The problem is the next generation is already 40. And I'm thinking, so why wasn't he interested in the fishing business when he was 20 or 30 and 35? Well, you start figuring out the money involved and you get it. But then I, dad's excited because this son has, he's, he's, he's really smart, Jolene. He has a PhD. And I said, great. What is his PhD in? And he said, Hebrew. <laughs> He was, he was an adjunct professor at the university. And not only that, adjunct professors don't make much money. So mom and dad have been sending him every money to pay his rent. And I said, oh, dad, I think you ought to sell it now. <laughs> I, just, I think there's a better option along the road. So certainly education of something that benefits the business is one of the prerequisites before you even transition ownership in the business. Absolutely. One thing that we talk about is holding others accountable and changing others, which seems to be much easier than changing ourselves. But as your role in a family business, how do you hold yourself accountable to making sure that you're being the person that fits right into the situation? 
Well, most of us assume that everybody's going to change and not me. And so I found out that doesn't work really good. But if that is your philosophy, my way or no way, be a sole proprietor. (laughs) Tell everybody you're the king or queen on the throne and you're my slaves. I pay you well. That's why you get to work here. Tell everybody I'm the puppeter. You're the puppet. I'm going to pull the strings. As long as you dance well, everything is going to be fine. What I find is you've got to hold up this mirror here for accountability. And here's a direct quote that I share and is often requoted in my work. And that is, if the achievement of what you want, your goal depends upon the assets that somebody else have, and they don't have your same goal, they don't have a problem. You've got the problem. So we always have to hold up that mirror to reality. And for holding yourself accountable, I'm looking at three things. I've got to figure out, are you self-focused or team-focused? Are you in it for yourself or are you in it because the second thing, you have a common goal. You know why you're in business. You know the value that each people bring. You know the value to the customers out there. Do you have a common goal? And then here's the biggest problem I have. I always have to assess, is there goodwill among the family members? Are they expecting somebody else to change and not them? For example, goodwill requires three things in my rule book. And the first is that you are willing to work toward a common goal. The second is you're willing to deal with conflict at the mosquito bite level so we don't have volcanic eruptions or fighting on the way to the funeral home. And the third thing is, are you willing to help other people succeed in their job, not just your job? So all of these things come into play and then holding yourself accountable goes back to the reasons why you are in business. What is the benefits to you? What are the benefits to other? Why are you even doing this? Because the why has to be more important than the what. And if your motivation for doing it is met, then motivation will grow and continue and you will continue to be accountable, not just for yourself, but when we operate as a business, we mitigate risk. That's really key. You got to mitigate risk. And so holding yourself accountable, doing the things you have to say, and we'll talk more about communication and the the tools you need. But I want you to know it is extremely important that the goodwill remains because once goodwill is gone, it's very hard to keep working in the business. Yeah, so true. And I think that holding yourself accountable is much harder, of course, than holding other people accountable. But I would encourage people to get, you know, an accountability partner. If you need to go and see a coach or something like that, even on the side to really help you become who you want to be, that's always a smart move. That's true. And if they don't do the accountability partner, which I find I can get mastermind groups uh, together of farmers and ranchers across the country who are not in competition, but they have a common goal. If they don't do that, then it is your advisory council that holds you to account. This is your attorney, your accountant, your financial planner. And by the way, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. So you're not just evaluating and expecting performance for everybody else. We're expecting performance from the leadership and management of the business too. And your advisory council needs to play this role. Great advice. One thing that we struggle with in our family, and we're going to talk a little bit about it, is conversations are not contracts. And knowing that you need to get things in writing, just like you do with every other business um, or any contractors you're using, talk a little bit about this mindset and how we make this work internally in a family. Well, I got to tell you something, and that is people in family business lie. They do. Now, they may not mean to, but gosh darn it, they say the same thing over and over again and don't do the work to make sure it happens. And here's the three biggest lies in family business. The first is work hard someday. This will all be yours. The second is, yeah, you know, I'm going to retire. And the third is, oh, 
You don't have to worry about your brothers and sisters. They've got their jobs. They're not interested in the business. Now, that's true until you're dead. Then everybody's very interested in the assets of the business. And this is why we must work sure we work very hard to get things in writing. Because I have a question for those listening to this podcast, and that is this. How much risk are you willing to take in the hopes things will be as you wish? that you can continue to ranch, that the business can continue, that you all get along. How much hope? And you've taught me something. Hope's not a good business strategy. Instead, all good businesses have things clarified and in writing. And when I'm doing my workshops, you get the template tools of some of those things that need to be in writing because we've got to make sure that we get past the conversation to the contract. You know, I receive about 20 phone calls every single week from somebody in family business help, please help. Can you help me? And one of the saddest ones I had in December was when a man, he's 62 years old, he's on the phone and I can tell that he is crying. The tears must be going down his face. And he said to me, you know, Jolene, I always thought my father's word was good, but I just found out it wasn't. Now think about that. At the reading of the will, it did not meet the expectation of the next generation. And by the way, this is why one of the things you have in writing, when you are a structure, like an LLC, an FLP, and C or an S Corp, you have a buy-sell agreement, a separate document from your articles and bylaws or your organizational operation agreement. You have a separate buy-sell agreement that trumps a will because wills are changed on a whim. So we have to have things in writing. And I have found that if you don't get these tools in place when the times are good, it's pretty hard to go back when you can't even get people at the same kitchen table and they're bringing their own attorneys. We must make sure that things are in writing because if they're not, they do not exist. Both internally and externally. Don't plan on someone's word being good externally. Always get stuff in contract as well. Right. And, and you know, people in agriculture are really good people and they want to do what's right. But what I know is that they, they love and honor their family to do the business, right? It means you've got to get specific things clarified and in writing. And it does not take long, especially when you got template tools to get you started. Because what I know is that we have, we have to get things clarified. One of the common mistakes is when we exchange labor for equipment. In other words, I'm going to use mom and dad's equipment on land that I lease. And in exchange for labor of me helping them, this is all going to work out. Well, for heaven's sakes, put that in writing. Because I had a family when the parents were both killed in an accident. And at the reading of the will, the other members of the family said, well, you did, you abused mom and dad. You didn't pay a darn thing. And you got to use their equipment all this year. And actually it went through the court system and the people who were farming and ranching lost it all. They were not defended and they had subtracted from their portion of the state what they should have been paying mom and dad for use of their equipment. They never got into the fact that all the labor you gave mom and dad because it was not in writing. The same thing, we, we, we don't honor our structures. If it says you better have a meeting, then you better have a meeting. <laughs> if it says you notify them in writing, even when you see them every day, you notify them in writing. A business first family is operating as a business because that's how they show they love and honor their family. Yeah, absolutely. One thing that we don't really talk about is clear expectations, just like you were bringing up, and communication and how we want to communicate as a family and how we set up those clear expectations. And we see it especially when conflict happens, right? It's communication comes much easier when we're all sitting there on a you know Sunday evening having dinner together. But as soon as you add conflict to the mix, that's where we can have some communication breakdown in particular. So 
how do we set up those clear expectations? And then what are some ways that we can process conflict that you have found to be successful? Caroline, I do so many young farmer and rancher grower meetings across North America and beyond. And this is what I hear from the rising generation. Jolene, I can't do anything right, but I don't even know what I'm supposed to do, but I can't do it right. Well, that's because they don't know their job. And yet, if you worked for anybody else, one of those lessons you learned is you knew what your job was and you knew you were going to be evaluated and you were going to be held to be accountable at it. So again, this is where you're going to need some tools. I teach how to use a managing people chart, which is just a spreadsheet. And across the horizontal column are the key people of the business. And then the long vertical column is what you do on your ranch or on your farm every day. And then you assign letters. So who's responsible for this? The buck stops with you. You've got to report to owners. You better understand the money of the area. You've got to make sure the work gets done. I didn't say you had to work alone, but you've got to make sure it gets in. You've got the R. And I tell people, if after six years, you don't have an R with your name, run, <laughs> go, get out, because you're a lifetime employee. Now, if you want to be a lifetime employee, that's okay with me, but really know that to manage the expectations, you've got to know the responsibility, the R, you have to know the W, what's expected of you from work, and who do you expect to work in this area? Then C, who do you have to consult with before you get to do something? And by the way, that might be the owners or the banker. <laughs> and who do you have to keep informed? What might be the employees or the in-laws or the neighbors? Well, clear expectations start with tools. And what I have found that we need to have some meetings. And you know, when, when we were shut down completely, I was doing so much virtual work. The number one webinar everybody wanted was this one. Why do we have to meet? We see each other every day. <laughs> that was a direct quote from my father-in-law. So I thought I could use that one. <laughs> so here's what I want you to do to, to make sure communication becomes clear. I want you to have a morning huddle. Now, this can be done through the smartphone or through the iPad. You can do it through the Zoom calls, or you might be in person. This might mean for us on the crop farming side, during planting, 7 o'clock a.m., we're all meeting in the shop. But here's the purpose of a morning huddle. What are you going to do today? Do you need some help doing it? Do you need the other resources? And let's get out there and get to work. It's 15 minutes. And during your busiest time, that's when you need a morning huddle more than any other time of the year. I want you to have monthly management meetings. And these, these are done with specific agendas, which are created ahead of time. Nothing on the agenda. Don't meet. Don't waste time. And when you're together, you can only discuss things that are on the pre-agenda. So people can prepare for them and they know what's expected and what will be discussed. And then, as I said before, if you are a structure, you better have that annual meeting for liability purposes is important and to make sure that we can continue our operation. So to have clear expectations, it requires some tools. And then you asked about conflict. I will tell you, there are some things that just need to roll off your back. The problem is when things start to build up and build up and build up like those mosquito bites and they're on your shoulders and they're in their mind and pretty soon they come out of your words or you wait for resentment to get even with somebody, that tells me you better have a way to deal with conflict. And one of the template tools says how you do this. And it's very simple. If you got a problem with somebody, you can only go directly first to them and you can't go with the problem unless you have a proposed solution. You two can't figure it out. Well, then we're going to go to the other managers in the business. As a team, we're going to sit down. We got this problem. Any ideas how we can solve it? Here's where we're at. If you can't resolve it, then let's go to the owners of the business or the business assets. If you can't dissolve this, then you have identified an advisor that you are going to invite to your kitchen table. 
And I want you to know the minute you realize you're going to pay between two and $500 an hour, you solve your problem. And you know, I've only had one family business in 35 years where we had to go to the last thing that was mediation and binding arbitration. Now, the thing with conflict management is it has to be adopted. It's a separate meeting. It takes about half hour at the most to do this. This is how we want to deal with conflict within this family business. Have them cross out what they disagree with, write in what they'd rather have, and then make sure you have a motion, a second, a vote. This is how we will act. And then everybody in their personal handwriting has to sign the bottom. Now, here's the key. The leaders must model this, hold him or herself to account as well. And they say, you know, I'm going to screw up. I know I'm going to screw up. So when I do, please hold me to account as well so that we all can grow together. They need people skills, but that doesn't come easy for a lot of us in agriculture. But once you have the template tools in place, it's amazing. And another tool they need is a code of conduct. What do you as a family business believe good and right and fair? And what behaviors will reinforce that? Again, it's one meeting. First of all, with the template tool, you put it in everybody's bathroom because they're going to be in there anyway, and they get to adapt to their needs. You have somebody type up the results when they gather them. And it's a 30-minute meeting. I want 100% compliance and agreement to this. You've got to keep working until you get that. This means you may have to leave something out or you may have be adding something along the way. You've got to have tools along the way because people of different generations think and talk differently. I'm working with generations who want to text and tweet, not talk and meet, but they will meet if you don't waste my time and if it has value at the end. This is why having clear expectations of how we're going to communicate is extremely important. I agree. I think communication is probably one of the biggest challenges that we don't even notice the elephant in the room because we're used to communicating just in a different way than we need to in some of these situations. <laughs> but did you know that cussing and swearing and rolling your eyes and slamming doors is not acceptable? <laughs> so, and, and here's how we traditionally coach in agriculture. We say, watch and then you'll know, or get out of my way. I can do it quicker or read my mind. And I got to, I got to take in my book, Holy crap. I married a farmer. One of the little quotes in there that says, you know, if somebody ever says to you, I can do it better by myself, let them (laughs) just turn around and walk (laughs) away. (laughs) So there's so many things that we can do to celebrate. There's so many things that are roadblocks that keep us from doing the work. Once we get over those roadblocks, and sometimes it takes an outside person to help you do that. And once you've got the template tools in place, you hold yourself to account. You begin to operate as a professionally run business who has the pleasure of being a family with the opportunity of a legacy to continue. Yes, absolutely. So we talked about the prerequisite for joining the family business. What are the prerequisites for transitioning a family business? All righty. Let me tell you why I developed this. (laughs) Phone rings. Mom and dad are in their 50s. They're extremely upset. She runs a travel agency. She's gone a lot. He serves on all kinds of boards. He's gone a lot. So they transition by contract, the farming business to the next generation. And they're all upset because the kids aren't paying them. (laughs) And I said to mom and dad, was this a legal contract? And they said, yes, it was. I said, well, then you've got to take them to court. Oh no, there are kids. Well, then it's a gift. Oh no, we need the money. Well, yeah, take them to court. This is the two by four. I don't have any other way to deal with this. And then when I asked the next generation, why aren't you paying the parents the terms of the contract that have your name at the bottom. This is a legal contract. And here is what they said. Jolene, we're going to get it all anyway. Why should we have to pay for it? That's why I have a two by four at the table, my friends. It's a wake up call. So 
just as their prerequisites before you invite a family member, here's what you've all taught me is very beneficial before you ever transition assets to the next generation. And by the way, transitioning is not just gifting, not just inheriting. It's also purchasing with terms that can allow a business to continue. So the first prerequisite is, I, as we talked about, I want you to have an education of at least two, preferably four years of something that will benefit the business. I want you to have an education. And the second, I want you to have experience. This is why you work for somebody else for two to three years. The lessons that you learn will change not only how you come back and what you bring, but how you are accepted into the business as you grow. The third prerequisite is that I want you to have some skin in the game that is not funded by mom or dad or the business. You have worked for someone else for three years. What did you do with that money? Did you go buy a pickup or a snowmobile or go on a holiday? Or did you save money so you could buy shares of stock in the corporation or a number of head of cattle or something you could lease back to the farmer ranch? Do you got to have some skin in the game? And what I know is if you don't do this, then all of a sudden entitlement comes in. It's going to be mine. Or why should I have to pay for it? Or mom and dad become the bank so that I can have whatever I want whenever I want. And I often hear from the senior generation those kids have it better than me. They live better than I do. And I said, well, whose fault is that? <laughs> <You know? laughs> because one of the points we didn't talk about is money and money really matters. So you've got to make sure that you take care of the senior generation financially first. They've got to be secure in the business. And if you don't do that, they will not, nor should they relinquish control because you can't dink around with their security. So make sure that the money is secure out there. We have to make sure they have some skin in the game and we understand money matters. The next thing is, if you need to be compensated for sweat equity, then that is done annually, not at the time of death. So here's what sweat equity is. If you're working hard and you work for somebody else so you know your monetary value and you come back to the business and you're kind and courteous and respectful, you don't just meet expectations, you exceed expectation and you add value, but you're being paid peanuts or work hard because it's going to be yours someday, then you are not being compensated for sweat equity. Sweat equity is earned compensation in lieu of the market value salary. And again, it is not done at the time of death. It is done every year at the annual meeting. And right now, of course, you can, can transition 16000 if you're in the States to an individuals each year, and there's no gift tax filing or anything. That is a gift that you get, but is this gift of compensation for sweat equity? For heaven's sakes, if it is, you put it in the minutes that this is what you're doing and this is why you're doing it. The fifth requirement that I have is there's got to be a fire in your belly to be here. Now, I'm going to make a generalized statement. Know that there's always exceptions. And that is, I have found in today's environment, until the rising generation is at least 27, I can't tell the fire in their belly. Here's why. Parents have made it too easy. We don't want our kids to fail or to make a mistake or to stand on their own two feet. Oh, they should have it better, a better life than we have. And so we, we don't let them sacrifice. We don't let them form any grit. Grit is perseverance over the long haul. And the enemy of grit is ease. So we've got to have people who are riding the roller coaster of the drought year where we didn't have enough hay, where we couldn't get the cattle worked in a timely manner or during calving. We have to have people who have grit that are going to be owning the assets of the business. And then the next one is when you're going to have assets of the business, you better show that you're in compliance of the tools that we have adopted. In other words, you're going to be taking a leading part to make sure you are held to account that you are in compliance with the code of conduct, with the exit strategy, with the managing people chart, with, with the eight template tools that you need to run the business. 
And the last one I have is you better be a darn good commercial for this business, for this family, and for this industry. Once those are in place, then I'd like you to consider keeping operations in its own entity, such as an LLC, from the land and the hard assets that are not movable. Operations or anything movable, uh, critters, crop, people, machinery, that's all in the LLC. And if I were a rising generation, it would be my goal to become 100% owner of operations of the business because I know how to operate a business. You don't put people in owners of something they don't know how to do. Now, the land, we can talk about how you transition that and how you tie them together. But it's extremely important that you make sure this transition happens, not at the time of death, that it begins incrementally by buying and or gifting so that ownership continues. And I know you won't get the stepped up basis. Hey, there's worse things than paying taxes, and that is losing both family and business. Absolutely. Now, when we successfully trans either transition or we are having these conversations, as a family business, how do we keep a positive attitude and really celebrate these milestones in the business? Well, we're often like the hamsters on the wheel. We went round and round and round. We get burnt out, worn out, stressed out. And then we say to the next generation, oh, come on into the business so you can get burnt out, worn out, stressed out. What would happen if we actually paused to applaud everything that we have done? This is why at those monthly meetings or maybe during a morning huddle, you start with something good that's happened. This is why you address realistic concern or problems that together we can solve. This is why the leaders make sure that they are demonstrating, that is a verb, by the way, appreciation. (laughs) What are you doing to value them? And different people want to receive appreciation in different ways. Have you asked them? And then leader, what do you expect for your support along the way so that you truly can celebrate? What we learn is that is nobody else's job to make sure we have a good day, <laughs> to make sure what we do is something that we like. We get to choose this. And you always have choices. You can quit, you can cope, you can work to change the system, or together you just might create a whole new system. I'm always about helping them find humor and celebration every day. And if you're struggling, the best source of all comes in the form of kids. Now, now just think about the stories they tell, the way they say things. Oh, I, I got whole speeches on harvesting the humor, a celebration of life on the farmer ranch. And so, so you got to understand there's humor every day. Second, you've got to learn how to accept things you cannot control or change. It's not going to do you any good to bang your head against a wall if you can't control or change it. And for example, you cannot tell because this is a podcast, but I'm a long-legged critter. I'm five foot 12, okay? And I get asked all the time, how'd you get to be so tall? And I used to say, oh, I'm only five foot eight. I do the rest with makeup. Or, you know, it's the fertile soil of Iowa. Stand in it and you grow tall. But I'm not the tallest female in our immediate family. Our daughter, Callista, is six foot three inches tall. She's absolutely gorgeous. But do you know what she has been asked all of her life? It's, do you play basketball? So one day I made a t-shirt for it said, yes, I play basketball. Do you play miniature golf? Except the things you cannot control or change. And let me give you just an example on our farm. Grandpa, or my father-in-law, but he's grandpa to our kids, of course. He was 90, living in assisted living, but he's still driving. I didn't say he should be, but he would only come from assisted living to the farm. And he'd come into the driveway and lay on the horn because he's not going to get out. He's going to lay on the horn. So I come running and dad's got the window down. How are you doing today, dad? Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. What's Keith up to? 
Is he out there planting corn? Oh gosh, no, dad. We had three inches of rain yesterday. It's too wet. Well, you better tell him it ain't going to grow in the bag. <laughs> I'll tell him. Not now, but I'll tell him what I know. Except things you can't control or change. Knowing some things roll off your shoulder. And the last thing is, if you want to enjoy your journey, please associate with the folks who are enjoying theirs. We heard when I was little, I heard, I bet you did too. If you lay down with the dogs, you'll get fleas. Then we changed it. It's hard to soar with the eagles when you're surrounded by a bunch of turkeys. So who do you know that's a turkey? Oh, yeah. Machinery's junky, crops are critty, critters are sickly, and you know everything's bad around here. Who do you know that looks like they've been weaned on a dill pickle? Now, could anyone somewhere be thinking about you? You see, this is a do-it-to-yourself joy that you can bring to the business. Yes, we ride the roller coaster of tough times together, but there's always something good that we can find for our family and for our business. This has been a great conversation. And I think that this is so important and something we need to talk about and be cautious of in family business and talk about it before it's too late. Talk to me a little bit about how our listeners can connect with you, how they can work with you, um, all of that. Well, one of the things you will hear right away uh, and that you know for yourself, if you can get all generations hearing things same place, same time, they actually go home and do the work. So this is why I talk to Montana Stock Growers or Catalan's University, or this is why I'm at events doing live presentations. And isn't it fun to be back live? What was interesting, I, I just did a, a meeting of farmers and somebody from the next generation said, but we don't have family members to continue. I said, hey, right after this one, there is a young farmer meeting on your people in your state. 480 people are attending. Oh, there's people who really want nothing more than to be a part of a legacy. Legacy does not have to transition to family but you've worked hard to build a business, what are you going to do? So if you need some help with it, please come to my live presentations or bring me into your group. That would be the very best. Next, you can reach out and call me. We do get a lot of conversations. You can email me at Jolene, J-O-L-E-N-E, Jolene at JoleneBrown.com. Or you can text me or we can talk in some form. I never charge for the first conversations because I don't know if my work can be of value. And as I said to a phone call I had this morning from someone, this is not a family business problem. This is a marriage problem. I want you to know I put the responsibility back on the people who can truly improve their families and love them by doing the business right. So my website is jolenebrown.com. They can watch videos of me on YouTube. I'm an RFD TV and I write in the monthly column, can their problem be solved for successful farming magazine. Perfect. I really appreciate you taking time today. Again, this is phenomenal information and we look forward to all the lives and operations you'll change with your wisdom. I am blessed and aren't we both because we work with the best people on the planet, the people of agriculture. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining. You're welcome. Meet us in Nebraska. This September on the 16th through 18th, we'll be hosting the Cattlemen U live event in Grand Island, Nebraska. This event will feature industry-leading speakers, groundbreaking tour stops, and cattle handling demos that will allow you to refresh your skills. Whether you're a first-generation rancher or next-generation rancher, Cattlemen U is for you. You don't have to be a member of Cattlemen U to meet us in Nebraska. Grab your tickets today at cattlemenulive.com backslash live dash events. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Cattleman You podcast. And remember, the grass is greener where you water it.